0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Every day in our province, men and women put on a uniform to go out and to keep our communities and our people safe. Sometimes they don't return home. Within months of starting, he was involved in the rescue of several victims as a result of a home invasion, including a child, and the subsequent arrest of the suspects. For his actions, he received a commendation from the CO for bravery and a provincial award. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith of Voices You Heard There, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, RCMP Deputy Commissioner Dwayne McDonald, both talking about the tragic death of RCMP Constable Rick O'Brien, fatally shot while police were conducting a search warrant at a home in Coquitlam on Friday. It was part of a drug investigation. Constable O'Brien was 51 years old. He was a decorated police officer, as you heard in that clip, recognized for his bravery and his exceptional service. He was an RCMP officer for seven years. He leaves behind a wife and six children. We want to pay tribute to him and all fallen police officers and first responders on the sh- to begin the show today. They are in mourning today. Let's check in with Doug Spencer now. Doug is a former gang unit police officer. He's more than 30 years' experience as a police officer. He executed a lot of those search warrants himself during his career. Doug, thank you for coming on today.
1: You're more than welcome, Mike.
0: My condolences to you and to all your fellow police officers and first responders, because I know this really, really hits, hits home when, when this happens. Can you describe that? Like, we saw, we saw people, we saw major events on the weekend, tributes to fallen police officers, and boy, this really, really is, is gutting. Can you tell me, like, what goes, just describe what police officers and first responders feel when this happens?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that runs through your head uh, when you're on the job. Um, you hear about tragedies like this, and uh, you you worry for the members out there. It's just, it's indescribable. Because you're just constantly, you know, my dad was a police officer, as was my grandfather, and um, they stressed to me that the biggest duty you have when you uh, start the day police work in police work is going home at the end of every day with you and your workmates so
0: yeah yeah and speaking of that can you talk a little bit about speaking of family spouses children how do they deal with that knowing the risk the inherent risks of the job that's got to be difficult
1: Oh, yeah, I can't even imagine what they go through because uh, it, you're constantly, you hear sirens uh, in the distance wherever they are, you know. My, and my wife's a retired RCMP, so she knows it, but he, he, they still worry. You, you think, oh, is that siren for my husband or wife or whatever the situation is, right? Um yeah. When the news comes out, oh there's been a shooting and an officer shot, I guarantee all of them freeze,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of this is of course we had the tragic death of Burnaby RCMP constable Shailen Yang last year stabbed to death. So this is a tragedy that we've seen we've seen again recently when you're when you're out there on the job and police officers are aware of the inherent risks of this job how do you handle that how do you handle that mentally like you mentioned that this occurred during the a search warrant and i know you've done a lot of search warrants over the years right well yeah i was doing probably one a week at
1: in the gang unit they we were constantly doing search warrants executing warrants to arrest people and uh you never know what's on the other side of that door and you you try and prepare yourself by you have uh, briefings as police officers whatever right and uh you you think of everything that can go wrong and you try and prepare for it
0: yeah and for being a very risky and unnerving situation like you say you don't know for certain what's on the other side of the door what what about can you do a check on weapons, like if there is any belief that there could be a weapon on the other side of the door? Is it possible to check on that before, before you do the search warrant?
1: Oh, yeah. The, the first thing you do if you're going to be entering a residence is you check with the firearms uh, people to see if there's a registered weapon in the house. Yeah. Uh, the issue is that, obviously, especially with gangs, they don't have firearms licenses and registered firearms and stuff right so um not just firearms there's all sorts of other weapons that are available in the house like everywhere so you know i've gone in and done search warrants where we know the guy's in there and you're looking around i remember one one time we went in to get this guy who had done a shooting in vancouver on fraser street and uh I looked through the window. I could see he was in there. And, of course, you you announce, you knock on the door, announce you're the police, and uh, he went out of sight. And we're looking everywhere for him and walking. We walked through the uh, laundry room three times, and uh, we ended up finding him. He was in the dryer. He had crawled into the dryer in the house. So every time we walk through that place, he easily could have shot us because we did not see him. Yeah. Right. So it, that's the type of stuff that happens. Pe- pe- guys have uh, actually one guy who ended up getting murdered, a gang member. He like cut a hole in the drywall and then pulled the drywall in behind him. He was in the drywall of the house. Oh.
0: Speaking of Doug so, Spencer, Doug is a uh, is a former. Vancouver police officer, 30 years on the job. He now works to keep young people safe and out of gangs. Do you think that when we take a look at the rash of police officer deaths that we've seen in Canada this year, Doug, do you think that the job is becoming more dangerous? Oh, most certainly. Uh, I, I mean, with the
1: lax, you know, I always bring this up, but the lax court system. When you get somebody that's using these gang members' two or three times they'd be caught with firearms, they should not be in the street. They should be in jail. If you did that, the safety of the community would uh, triple, right? There's just, you, you can't keep letting these guys out in the street because they'll keep doing what they do, use firearms. So, um, and, and plus the sentencing as well, you know, People beat up the police. They fight the police. Uh, very rarely they go to jail for any uh, consequential time, right? So you got to make it. The last thing they want to do is confront and fight the police. Then you'll start seeing uh, a little bit of change and it getting a little more safer for officers.
0: We're now seeing a bill to toughen up Bail provisions in Canada moving through the House of Commons now in front of the Senate. It will include a so-called reverse onus provision where an accused would have to prove why they should be released and not the other way around. So the burden would not be on the Crown. Do you have any confidence that that bill will make things significantly safer and that dangerous offenders will be kept locked up? Or are you still dubious? Well, given the
1: the past and our history and dubious is a really good word. Um, there, I can tell you during the the times of uh Bindi Johal, yep. a very famous gangster in Vancouver, the bail tightened up and we would put in bail um packages showing they're called show causes and showing that this person doesn't meet the Bail Reform Act, uh, a, a proper address, continues the offense, is a danger to the public. We would show that, and they started putting these guys in jail and holding them in jail, and the jails were actually kind of overflowing a bit, but uh, the streets were so safe. There was It was like uh, this deathly silence, especially in the east end of Vancouver. I can tell you where I worked. Um, it worked, but you know, they have to stick to it. You you can't allow these woke people to come in and say, Oh, that you can't do that. Or, you know, they have rights and all this stuff. When you are running around with firearms shooting people, you lose your rights. That's the way it should be looked at.
0: Doug, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it in difficult circumstances here. Thank you for coming on.
1: No problems, and uh, I'm certainly thinking of his children. It's ultimate sacrifice for our yeah. for our community,
2: and uh, it breaks my heart. His for his family, for his friends, for his fellow officers and the community, just
0: doing their job. They came to show respect for Constable Rick O'Brien, who was killed while on duty Friday afternoon.
3: It was important to be here because we love and respect uh, police officers and law enforcement and we have a law enforcement family. Daddy's a police officer and my dad was and my grandfather was. So, uh, yeah, just, it's a family. The RCMP and all police forces are, they're a big family.
0: Uh, our global news report on the people dropping off flowers in memory of fallen police officer Constable Rick O'Brien. Let's check in with Brian Sove now. Brian is president of the National Police Federation, that is the union that represents RCMP officers. Brian, thank you for coming on. No, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm sorry about the sad circumstances here. My sympathies to you and all your other fellow officers here on the on the loss of a colleague. Brian, can you describe? Is it possible to put into words what goes through the mind of RCMP officers when something like this happens?
4: I don't think you can uh, put it into no. words. Um, it's really just a, uh, a massive outpouring of emotion and grief and shock and sadness. Um, you know, uh, I was in Ottawa yesterday at the Canadian Police and Peace Officers Memorial. Uh, they added 13 names, uh, the one in British Columbia uh, was also yesterday in Victoria. Um, you know, so our friends and our colleagues are still mourning Shailen Yang and uh, Harry Dami in Sherwood Park, as well as a number of others in Ontario and Edmonton. Um, it's just a big punch to the gut, and um, there's there's nothing that can really describe it.
0: This is a man who is a dedicated RCMP officer, decorated for his service and his bravery, leaves behind a wife and six children, which is just tragic. Can can you comment a little bit about Constable O'Brien, your thoughts on him?
4: Well, what I can tell you is, if you give me a moment, I'll pull it up. I have um, a quote from his widow, um, how she would like us to describe him. Mm -hmm. And that is, he took pride in the uniform. He loved his job. His focus was always kids. And he loved being involved in
0: schools. Yeah. So I think that, that pretty much covers it. That is certainly certainly his record. Speaking to Brian Sovay, National Police Federation, it's the Union of RCMP officers. Brian, tell me about the the GoFundMe here because this is now taken off. This has been set up. It's if you're looking for the GoFundMe here, the title of it is In Memory of Constable O'Brien. This was originally a goal to raise $10,000 for the family. That was quickly eclipsed. What is the latest there?
4: Uh, Well, we broke through $100,000 last night, and I have to say thank you to um, all Canadians, those in British Columbia as well as those worldwide who have contributed to that. You know, the National Police Federation, we have a benevolent foundation that assists in the immediate needs of any family, whether it's you know flying in relatives for a funeral or just childcare or stuff, um, and this is only the second time we've tried a GoFundMe platform, and and um, um, clearly Canadians respond to it, um, and you know all I can say is, is thank you uh, for for what people are showing and the support that they're showing to uh, Rick and and uh, his his widow and his kids.
0: Yeah, I'm just taking a look at the GoFundMe right now, Brian. It's at one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars, and official goal has now been raised to one hundred and twenty-five thousand. I suspect you will easily surpass that and beyond. Do you think the job of being a police officer is becoming is becoming more dangerous in, in our country? You talked about the thirteen names yesterday at the memorial. What are your thoughts on that? We just have one minute left.
4: I don't think it's becoming more dangerous, but I think what you're seeing obviously is a shrinking world with social media and the sharing of information. So, so yes, it's a dangerous occupation. It's an extremely rewarding career, uh, that comes with it. Um, a danger to self and that comes with choosing a life of service to other Canadians. Um, You know, uh, I I know our members are hurting. I know Canadians are hurting, and they see this as uh, a massive spike. I think the police world sees it as a spike, and we wonder what's going on. So how do we address those that are openly hostile to those that are there to keep the peace? And where does that start? I think it's a good conversation to have.
0: Ryan, thank you for coming on today, and my sympathies to you and your colleagues. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. A quick programming note here for you. Have you noticed the ads from Uber that have been running on the show the last few days? I'll tell you what, man. Uber is on an advertising blitz. In British Columbia right now, Uber wants you. They want you as an Uber driver. I'm going to talk about that later on the show today. I will introduce you to Scott Singer. He is an Uber driver. He's very popular on, on social media where he tracks his Uber career and gets a ton of attention on, on TikTok and other platforms. He will be on at the top of the hour and we will talk about what is this job really like? What are the requirements to be an Uber or a Lyft driver in British Columbia? There are some strict rules to get into this, but once you're in, be an Uber driver. What is the job really like? They are really, really on a push here to get more Uber drivers in B.C. So we'll talk about that. That is coming up at the top of the hour. So we have all that. We have lots more coming up. But first, we start with Canada's auto sector here. Now, and Fenerata is my guest. Speaking of being popular on social media, I encourage you to check out Sondran's TikTok. And man, he's got a lot. He's got some viral videos on there, including this one. Let's have a listen to this. This is Sondran on TikTok about the, the theft of a high-tech Lexus, a high-tech auto theft of, on a Lexus, and just how fast the crooks can steal these high-tech cars. Have a listen to this. We have
3: these two criminals, these crooks. There are actually three crooks in total. Pull up in this Honda SUV. They've identified this. Looks like a Lexus RX that they're going to go ahead and steal. And you can see they're already working on the front of the vehicle and you're probably thinking, what are they doing? Well, they're ripping off the front bumper because what they're trying to do is get access to the headlight because the headlight has a connector which connects to the ECU or the computer of the vehicle. So you can see he just moved it up a little bit and then he's gonna drive off with this Lexus. And you can see they basically stole this Lexus in under a minute 30 seconds
0: okay this is a wild video you should absolutely check that out just how quickly they can steal one of these high-tech vehicles let's discuss now with sondra and fanaretta sondra and thanks a lot for coming on today
3: thanks for having me mike excited to talk about this
0: yeah for sure i appreciate it a lot and that video the clip we just played i think that's your most viewed tiktok isn't it
3: It is. Well, it's pretty crazy, right? Because we're seeing a huge spike in auto thefts. You know, thefts are up 44%. I know for me and my family, we have a daughter. We're we're worried about that, right? And it's it's happening more and more. And, you know, we've done some stuff to hopefully deter uh, any thieves coming for our vehicle. But it's a problem many Canadians are grappling with coast to coast right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I encourage the listeners to check that video out because you see these guys sort of pull up in a, in a Honda and then these guys get to work. They don't waste any time. They tear off the part of the front bumper. Like I never knew you could you could access a an, an electric vehicle like that. Was that an EV, that Lexus? No, so that wasn't
3: an EV, oh. but most vehicles now, um, they all have a connection, different parts of the vehicle to the ECU. And really all these thieves now need to do... It's not like traditionally where they have to hotwire the car. All they have to do is plug into your vehicle, and there's software solutions out there. They can go in and basically open up the car and turn it on just by connecting into the computer of your car. So it's really important that you kind of look at how you can mitigate that from happening. In this case, the owner probably didn't have no idea that they could just rip off the bumper, plug into the headlight connection, which actually has a connection to the ECU of the computer.
0: Yeah, that's what shocked me. You sort of monkeying around with the headlights and somehow they're able to start the vehicle and rip it off in like a minute, 30 seconds, as you described there. So how can you stop that?
3: Yeah, so there's actually a whole bunch of stuff. I think number one, Mike, is all about deterrence, right? You want to make sure that if any criminal is coming to you potentially to get your vehicle, what can you do to put as much deterrence as possible, whether it's parked outside of your house or hopefully in the garage garage? But other things like the club, um, any mm. security system etching that you could also do as well. And if you follow on Cars with Sondra, and there's actually a system that we just used. And honestly, it, it just brings so much more peace of mind to me and my wife, where you actually go into your vehicle and you have to put a combination pin. So pressing some buttons in the vehicle, three or four combination pin. And that'll authenticate the ECU in the vehicle to go into drive. So even if, you know, Mike, I gave you my key and I said, go take my car, you wouldn't be able to actually go anywhere with the vehicle without putting in a combination pin inside of the vehicle.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And it's also interesting to hear you mention the club. That, that's like old school, right? That, that's the one, the, the anti theft device you put on your steering wheel. That's like old school.
3: It is old school, but you know what? Anything you can do for that thief to say, you know what, this is going to take longer for me to go ahead and steal. Any deterrence that you could potentially do on your vehicle, that's a good idea to go ahead and do that. You know, of course, they could probably rip it off, but the more kind of steps that you have in defense of protecting your vehicle, the better chance that you have they're just going to pass on you and not go ahead and try to steal your vehicle.
0: Yeah, for sure. Speaking to Canadian auto industry analyst, Sondran Fanarata. Okay, Sondran, let's talk a little bit about EVs you know, a lot of people want to get into an electric vehicle, beat the insane gas prices at the gas pump, just drive on by. Our family is considering, if we have to get a new vehicle, go EV next time. I'm wondering, though, like, my buddy just bought a hybrid. He was lucky enough to get a Toyota RAV4 hybrid. He had to wait a year and a half to get it. He loves it. What do you think is better, a hybrid or a pure pure EV? Yeah, so, Mike, this is, a, this is a big
3: debate between me and my wife as well. We were looking for a new vehicle. You know, I, I love technology. I wanted to get in on a full electric vehicle. And, you know, as part of the channel, Cars of Sondren, I reviewed tons of electric vehicles. And look, what I'll tell you is this. In Canada, depending on where your climate is, we all know, just like your phone battery, the battery degrades significantly when it's colder, right? And I had many examples driving Teslas, you know, the Ionic 5 from Hyundai, lots of those vehicles. And their stated ranges that they have potentially drops in my experience, my firsthand account of experience in this, with test drives, 35 to even 40 percent in the worst case scenario. One time I was actually parked outside with my Tesla Model 3. It was at 20 percent. Within six hours, it dropped down to zero. I was basically stranded. I had to push the car out. We made the decision to go ahead and get a hybrid vehicle because I think it's the best of both worlds. We can go ahead and get that EV efficiency in shorter trips. But with that, you know, long-term range and long range of a gasoline engine, and to be honest with you, when I think about how we're going ahead and trying to make sure we're reducing emissions globally, I think the more emission-reducing technologies we put in the most people's hands, the better. And still to this day, EVs are substantially more expensive than, let's say, a hybrid vehicle. And then on top of that, our charging infrastructure today in Canada is not yet advanced enough yet. We have many problems with our charging infrastructure from coast to coast, and so... In a Canadian-specific answer, we decided to go with a hybrid. But if you told yeah. me and I, if I was in California with some beautiful weather all the time, I would have probably went full electric.
0: Yeah, I'm, we're leaning to hybrid, too, if we, if we get to that point. Let me ask you about the, the current market conditions out there because I know you've got your finger on the pulse of a lot of this. So things like these factors that we're dealing, we're all dealing with in our lives, inflation, interest rates, Like, you take a look at the inflation rate ticking back up to 4% in the last report. Now you've got the Bank of Canada. Oh, no. Could they potentially raise rates again? What are you sort of seeing out there in this auto market right now in terms of cost pressures and also just the cost of financing? This is brutal.
3: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I I have a good connection with a bunch of friends in the dealer network on news, news vehicles and new vehicles. And what we're seeing is obviously now for new vehicles, the interest rates are sky high, right? I've seen interest rates for new vehicles at 9% and higher, which is a lot, right? You think about the amount of interest you're paying on a monthly payment, it's significant. But, you know, after the last three years, we've had a lot of insanity with the supply crunch with COVID. We're starting to see that pressure ease and you're starting to see it in the used car segment first, right? So on the Mannheim Vehicle Index, For the first time, we're actually seeing a significant drop year over year in August on the used price vehicles for compact cars, for example. It's down 13.3%. EVs are also starting to come down in price. So we've seen on the news, Teslas, they've been reducing their price to go ahead and try to spur up more demand. Because what we are finding and seeing across the market is that a lot of people typically buy their cars on credit. Credit, has gone really expensive. And so what you're seeing is kind of, in my opinion, a, a forecast or kind of a future prediction of what could happen with the housing market as well, because you're seeing the credit first happen with cars, which is more liquid than houses per se. And so everybody yeah. right now going through this credit cycle is seeing the squeeze of this, you know, higher cost of credit, and that's impacting the car market. And I think we're going to see this impact continue to spread out over the next 6, 12 and 18 months.
0: Okay, how about gas prices? Where do you see gas prices going right now? Like, Sandra, and we got the highest gas prices in the country here. We got the highest gas prices in North America, right here in Vancouver. Where do you see it going forward?
3: Yeah, you know what? Uh, I don't think any economist or any person can come here and say for de- definitively where we're going to go. But, yeah. you know, it is the most expensive. You know, I was just in Vancouver, and, you know, it's eye-shocking to me that the prices are over $2 a litre in many places and we have so many natural resources in Canada, I think we're gonna to continue to see volatility, right? We're gonna to continue to see prices increase, um, depending on what OPEC is doing with you know, restricting supply. There's a lot of stuff that's actually out of control with our gas prices, but there's a lot in our control. There's still a lot that we can do in Canada to go ahead and boost supply. We have tons of opportunity and natural resources that we can tap into. But right now, I'd say for anyone driving on the road, Think about how you can be most efficient with your vehicle. Do the maintenance, proper mm. tuning. Think about driving in the most efficient way to save that money on gas. Because let me tell you, it's uh, it's pretty expensive when you go there and fill up and you're kind of like, wow, this is a lot of money to fill up my vehicle.
0: Yeah, for sure. Tire pressure. Tire pressure. Check that. Make sure you keep on yes. top of that.
3: That helps. All the weight in your trunk. If you have a whole bunch of stuff, like start thinking about weight reduction. Um, do all yeah. those little things and they can actually make an impact. I. I did a test. I did, you know, full maintenance, removed a bunch of the stuff that was not needed, increased the tire pressure. I actually saw an increase of 5 to 7% in my fuel economy. And if you add that up over time, that's money in your pocket.
0: Sondren Fanaretta is my guest, auto analyst, very popular on TikTok. Let's go right to your phone calls. Richard in Port Coquitlam. Hey, Richard, go ahead.
2: Hey there. Yeah, I drive a Chevy Bolt. Okay. Just love it got it this year 2023 for city driving now, i haven't driven it in the winter time you got me a little bit scared with uh we don't get very cold here luckily and and i mean it's got 400 kilometer range over 400 kilometer range so i'll have lots you know for in the city now we went out of the town and we drove our santa fe gas guzzler man that thing
0: hurts to fill up with gas <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you for the call sandra and what do you think of the chevy volt
3: Yeah, no, I I think it's good. It really depends, again, on what your driving lifestyle is like. Do you do a lot of road trips, right? Are you driving long distances? I think that's something to also consider. And, you know, in the Vancouver area, how often do you get it to, you know, negative 15 plus degrees Celsius? The colder it is, you know, the more it's going to impact your range. So, again, it's really it's a decision you have to weigh the pros and cons based on your lifestyle and what you want to do, right? So I think if you have that lifestyle where maybe that isn't something that you do so much of great, then a EV option probably is going to work out for you
5: and longer term.
0: Let's go to Joe in South Surrey. Hi, Joe. Go ahead.
5: Oh, yeah. I had a 2021 Hyundai Santa Fe hybrid, right. uh, but I switched that over to a brand new Hyundai Tucson plug-in, and mm-hmm. there's a big difference. The hybrid averaged about 17 kilometers per liter because it goes from the battery to gas and then back to battery. Yeah. But The plug-in gives you 50 kilometers on the battery as soon as you charge it every night or whenever you need to. And to give you an idea of the difference, I've owned it a few months, but I've got 6,860 kilometers since I've bought it and that is averaging 63 kilometers to the liter because it uses the 50 on the battery before it switches to gas, and then it goes back to being a hybrid, back and forth.
0: Joe, thank you for that call. Sandrin, what do you think of that?
3: Yeah, look, that's another great option, right? I think the PEVs, the plug-in EV hybrids, those are really good. You get the best of both worlds. The one thing I always heard from people, and I'm curious to hear your take, is a lot of people sometimes are like, now I have to charge it and go to the gas station at the same time, and so that's kind of the only negative with that. That's another great option. Unfortunately, those vehicles are very hard to come by now with the supply chain crunch. So very few are being offered, and their waiting times. I've heard, especially on the Lexus side, a year or a year and a half wait times.
0: Right. Squeeze in another call here, Vicky in Kelowna. Hi, Vicky. Go ahead.
1: Hi. Good
2: morning. Um, I drive a Nero hybrid, and it's not a plug-in. And it switches back and forth on its own. I never know. Like, I'd have to look at the dash to see whether it's a hybrid or not, or whether it's EV or not. And I've had yeah. people riding with me, and I've said, um, we're running electric. Can you tell? And they say, oh, no. And then I'll say, we're running gas. Can you tell? No, I can't tell. It switches back and forth so evenly that and do you like don't it? even know.
0: You like it? Pardon? you like it i
2: love it and okay. I right i tried out all the hybrids before i purchased it because i was decided that's how i was gonna go um it's the only one that my and my husband's golf clubs fit crosswise in the back i don't have to put the seat
0: down okay it sounds perfect I, vicky thank thank you for calling in sandra we are out of time here man there's more calls coming in we'll just have to have you back sounds good no it's great okay. to be on the show mike Give you have an update now on that latest truck overpass collision. This happened last week, Highway 1 in North Van, the Main Street overpass. A truck once again slams into an overpass. This one is wild. Police calling it a hit and run. So, you had a situation where the driver hits an overpass and then lambs it, takes off. $368 fine for the company for leaving the scene of an accident. The company, meanwhile, has had its license to operate suspended by the provincial government pending an investigation. The entire fleet of trucks in this company's more than 20 vehicles has been parked now pending this investigation. Got Andy Roberts standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report. Global News reporter, Sophia Perani.
2: It's happened one too many times across the Lower Mainland. An overheight truck striking an overpass causing a collision, this time on the North Shore. And police are now investigating after the driver left the scene. The owner of the transport truck has been fined $368 for failing to remain on the scene. Police also confirmed the company is not complying with the investigation.
0: Let's discuss now with my guest, Andy Roberts. Andy is the president, Mountain Transport Institute in Castlegar. They train truck drivers there. Andy, thank you for coming on today. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot for doing it. Have you ever heard of one like this? I mean, we've talked a lot about these truck overpass collisions, but this is the first time I've heard of one where the driver takes off. You ever heard of that before? Uh, new one for me,
2: um, I... I mean, speculation would say possible uh, unlicensed or possible that uh, wasn't actually legally working. Yeah. Speculative opinion. But, uh, I mean, that's the only reason I could think of somebody running away.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the, tra- the rules of the road here. What is the official maximum height on a truck in order to fit under most of these bridges and overpasses here?
3: So your
2: le- maximum legal height is 4.15 meters, and you can exceed that on a permit basis. and then of course you have to you're responsible for uh, obviously taking a route where your, your permittable load will fit. So uh, that, that falls squarely on the shoulders of the carrier, the trucking company and the, and the driver of the vehicle.
0: Right. Okay. So if you were going to exceed that 4.15 meter maximum height, you have to get a special permit for that. And then there is a, is there an approved route that you must follow then with that, that l- bigger load?
2: Yes, typically there isn't. And, and it depends on how much higher you go, right? Um, you know, some on an extraordinary loads, then, you know, we're running, you know, the permit will allow you only run 2am to 5am and you have police escorts and, you know, you can get really crazy on some of that stuff when you're moving houses and things like that. But a regular overheight permit is, is typically uh, uh, an approved route or you choose your route, but you have to be responsible for it.
0: Yeah, and why do you think we've continued to see these incidents that if we have a system in place that's supposed to make sure this doesn't happen, so if you have uh, an overheight load on the truck, you were not supposed to go on a route while you're in danger of slamming into an overpass? Why do you think it keeps happening when we have that system in place? I'm
2: speechless. I don't know why it keeps happening. It's it's poor training. It's lack of knowledge is really the only answers. Um, I got to say, I'm really impressed with with how the provincial government handled it this time. You know, pulling the national safety code number of the trucking company and basically putting them out of business while there's an investigation that that's a serious that that hurts that hurts a lot so um i think that move is going to hopefully help uh other companies maybe sit up and pay attention
0: speaking to andy roberts mountain transport institute they train truck drivers there in the in the bc interior let's talk a little bit about that training uh andy what do you think about the is is there a lack of training right now there is mandatory training though for truck drivers is there not Well, there's mandatory training that's been in place just coming up on two
2: years in October. Um, So, but you you still have, uh, first of all, we have a lot of drivers, obviously, that never took the mandatory training. So we don't know what level they were trained to. And honestly, uh, there does appear to be some schools that are not actually following the guidelines of the mandatory training either.
0: Okay. And what are the major parts of those guidelines? Well,
2: I mean, it, it's uh, the biggest parts of the guidelines, I think, are the, the fact that there's a mandatory classroom and theory sessions that, that uh, and there's three written exams that come with those that the students have to pass. And then there's 13 skills evaluations to, to do with the driving and the pre-trip inspection of the vehicles and the coupling and uncoupling and chain up that the students also have to pass two different times in order to, to complete the program. And, I, and I, I get a sense from talking to some people that not all the schools are following through on that.
0: Interesting, what about that you touched on a lack of knowledge? and I wonder about kind of corporate knowledge among drivers themselves, like drivers who pass on knowledge to younger younger drivers or are having a system where you graduate to larger vehicles like didn't it used to be that you would start you'd start on a smaller truck and sort of work your way up to the big 18 wheeler rigs? You know what, that's a great point, Mike. Typically, so a, a number of years ago, the
2: industry was regulated and you had to have a license that was issued by the government to haul on certain routes and certain products. And when, it, we, when we experienced deregulation, that sort of opened the field up to anybody that, that wanted to start a trucking company. And uh, I think, you know, gradually over time, we've seen two things happen. Number one, we've seen a lot of companies pop up with people that uh, have some money but don't necessarily have the experience. And then of course, the other thing is, is we're seeing the baby boomers retire. And and so the people that used to be passing that knowledge on and mentoring the the new drivers, you know, that knowledge is retiring out of the industry and and sitting on the couch watching TV somewhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of Andy Roberts about the latest truck overpass collision, are we adequately uh, training these drivers? All right, Andy, here's the other one. You mentioned that pulling the operating license for this particular company pending this investigation is a major penalty here for sure, and I would agree with you on that. But would you say that the fines typically are too low for these infractions? Let me play a clip here for you. Delta City Councillor Dylan Krueger, here he is talking about some of the collisions they've experienced in his community, and he thinks the penalties, the fines are too low. Have a listen.
2: incident that happened on 192nd Street in July of last year, $115 fine for over a million dollars in damage.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Give me a break here. What do you think the fine should be? Well, I know the province is working on this in fairness to them. I would encourage them
2: in that process, but it has to be punitive.
0: Okay. $115 fine. We've heard that reported in a number of these overpass hits. The province did say way back in the spring that they were going to Potentially toughen up these fines. Maybe we'll see that this fall. Andy, your thoughts?
2: No, the fines that—that's pocket change for you know for any of these companies, right? That's uh, that's not a deterrent at all. Yeah. I think that um, uh, you know there there has to be some responsibility and accountability on the part of the people that hit them to you know as far as damages go and repairs go um, is is really got to be the deterrent at this point.
0: Right, okay, so there should be fines, but there should also be mandatory, what, like if you slam into an overpass and cause tens of thousands of dollars of damage or even more, what, the company should be responsible to pay for the repairs? Well, I, if they created it, I think they should be. And yeah.
2: e- even just with the one in North Van, I don't know that there were a lot of repairs required, but you still, you're calling an engineering crew out in the middle of the night, and, you know, all the costs of, of flagging crews and, and highways maintenance contractors... As taxpayers, we shouldn't be held
0: responsible for that. I agree with you on that. Andy, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. You bet. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.